0: The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we've come to the end of the Lenten season. And on this Palm Sunday, it's our privilege to hear from one of the Passion readings, this year, of course, from the Gospel of Matthew. Martin Kaler was a Protestant theologian from the early 20th century. He famously said, The Gospels are really passion narratives with long introductions. What he meant, of course, was the Gospels really are all about the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The whole message is summed up in these great narratives. Everything else, Jesus teaching, his miracles, all his actions, his public life, in many ways are simply introductions to what occurs in the passion and so on this Palm Sunday we meditate on this sober and somber reading Jesus journey toward death I think what you see especially clearly in Matthew is that Jesus is the one who journeys into the far country into the far country of sin of human dysfunction, of all that separates us from the love of God. Keep in mind, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is the friend of sinners. I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. And so he associates throughout his life with the marginalized, the hopeless, the lawbreakers, the sinners. Standing in the muddy waters of the Jordan, shoulder to shoulder with sinners, to the very end of his life, when he's crucified between two thieves, Jesus is the one who goes into sin in order to bring the divine light there. Another way to look at it, Jesus goes into sin as God's obedience, God's fidelity, and he thereby absorbs The power of sin and takes it away. How do we usually deal with sin? We sin in return. You're cruel to me, I'll be cruel to you. You're violent to me, I'll be violent to you. You betray me, I'll betray you. That's the way of the world. Sin battles sin. And then there's Jesus, God's fidelity. God's love that goes into sin, listen now, drawing it to itself. In a certain way, Jesus draws sin to himself, that by his love and by his fidelity, he might take it away. Therefore, what you see in Matthew's passion is a kind of symphony of sin. Almost all forms of human dysfunction are on display. And it's into that far country, into that cacophony of sin, that Jesus goes. How does Matthew's account of the Passion open up? It opens up with a clear statement of Judas' betrayal. For 30 pieces of silver, for a few lousy dollars, we would say, Judas betrays his friend, his mentor, his master. In Dante's Divine Comedy, traitors are placed at the very lowest point in hell. Dante saw betrayal as the greatest of sins, turning your back on your friend, betraying your friend out of self-interest for the sake of money. There's something especially grimy about that sin. After the Last Supper, Jesus leads his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he goes by himself to pray. One of the most painful and climactic moments of Jesus' life, the night before he dies, wrestling with the will of his Father, struggling with the fact that his death is upon him so intense is the struggle that Jesus sweats blood and what are his disciples doing during this process they're asleep there isn't here a meditation on another form of sin Karl Barth said the greatest of the deadly sins is sloth spiritual laziness I just don't care. Jesus here, at the very height of spiritual attentiveness, alert to the will of his Father, and his disciples are slumbering away. Another face of sin. We just don't care. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, if you are lukewarm, I shall vomit you out. What Christ is most opposed to there is just this attitude of spiritual sloth, spiritual laziness. Then they come to the garden, Judas and the temple guard, armed with swords and clubs, the gospel says. Whom have they come for? The prince of peace, the one who said, resist not evil. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn and give them the other. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who maltreat you. Christians, that was a message from another world. That was the heavenly message. Who comes to the garden now led by Judas? All the powers of the world playing their usual game. Into the garden of Gethsemane comes violence, the ways of violence, the way the world of sin has customarily ordered itself. Whether I'm talking about Babylon or Greece or Rome or Napoleon or Stalin, the way the sinful world orders itself is through violence. And so into the garden they come, armed with swords and clubs. In all of the confusion... One of Jesus' disciples cuts off the ear of the high priest's slave. That's a beautiful spiritual symbol. What does violence do? Violence cuts off communication. In violence, no one is listening. Nobody is speaking. The powers of reason, the powers of connectedness, they've been overwhelmed. What we see on display here is the awful face of human violence up and down the centuries. How tragically contemporary it all sounds. As once more the Holy Land ripped apart by this kind of violence, nation against nation, people against people, ethnic group against ethnic group. At the end of the struggle, when it was clear that Jesus would be arrested, His disciples, who had insisted during the Last Supper that they would stand with him, yes, even to death, all fled. There's something dreadfully sad to me in that line as the gospel rehearses it. And they all fled. Jesus had called them to himself. Come, I will make you fishers of men. Come after me and be my disciple. And then at the moment of truth, they all fled. Christians, another face of sin is on display. Cowardice, spiritual cowardice. When I know what to do, I know the hour has come. I know what it's right for me to do. I know the path to walk. And I just can't summon the courage to do it. I can't summon the courage to walk it. Look you know that famous line, the only thing required for evil to thrive is for good men to do nothing. At this moment of truth, these followers of Jesus did nothing. They fled. Evil must be resisted whenever it appears. One of the faces of sin is a cowardice that refuses to face it down. The symphony of sin only intensifies now as the story unfolds. Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, if you will, of the Jewish nation. Supposedly the best people in the nation, the representatives of the people. What do we hear? Before them are brought a whole series of false witnesses, Liars, those who care much more for their own gain, for their own aggrandizement than they do for the truth. Those who couldn't care less about the truth, who will say anything to serve their own purposes. Does that sound familiar, fellow sinners? It's a game that we all play. Jesus called himself the truth. And here at the moment of truth, he's surrounded by a pack of liars. The symphony of sin continues. Outside in the courtyard, there is Peter, undoubtedly ashamed by the fact that he would fled. He follows after Jesus, trying to get information. And there he's in the courtyard of the high priest, and he's warming himself by the fire. A woman sees him. He was with him. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter, of course, denies it. But she insists, yes, you're one of his disciples. He denies it again. Then she says, of course you are. Your own accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. What do we see here? But something I've spoken of often. One of the most terrible faces of sin is scapegoating violence. How we love to form ourselves into communities around somebody that we can hate. That lovely detail of his accent giving him away. Whom do we especially dislike? those who are different, who act differently, who speak differently, who look different. A terrible face of sin is precisely this scapegoating mechanism. Then we hear about Judas as the symphony continues to play. Judas, in his despair, in his deep regret, hangs himself. Many have pointed out over the centuries that Really, Judas was no worse than Peter. Both had denied him, both had betrayed him, both had fled. What's the great difference? Is that Peter, in his regret, sought forgiveness. Judas can't muster that. And in his despair, he destroys himself. Maybe the bitterest and worst face of sin that we see, self-destruction. When I feel I am so in the dark that I can't even begin to ask for forgiveness. That's where Judas finds himself. The Lord then is brought before Pilate. And again we see another face of human dysfunction. Pilate, who represents the Roman Empire. The bearer of justice. The spokesperson for justice. What does he see almost immediately? That Jesus is innocent. It's very clear that he sees it. And yet... He caves in to the pressure of the crowd, fearing the loss of his position. The abuse of power, personally, in a family, in an institution, is one of the terrible faces of sin. The abuse of power. What have we seen? Betrayal, indifference, sloth, violence, cowardice, untruth, Scapegoating, self-destruction, abuse of authority. All these faces of sin. Christians, what's the good news on this day as we read this terrible story? The good news is God's own love has journeyed into this far country to bring the divine light there. He doesn't hate sinners. He journeys into their world. And then by His truth and His love, He absorbs the sins of the world. That's the good news Call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.